Coach Podcast. I'm Jay, your host of the Grill Coach Podcast. Today, I'm here with Frankie. What's up, Frankie? Hello, hello, hello. Happy to see you today. Likewise, it's a great day in the Grill Coach neighborhood. That's a thing. We're talking <laughs> picking a pellet cooker. Frankie, tell me what a pellet cooker is. What's your definition? Oh, oh. Uh, a pellet cooker is a cooker that is fueled by pellets. Simple, simple, simple. Yeah. All right. Well, first, uh, we'll talk all more about that. First, let's get through the regular parts of our show. Highlights. Sometimes I think, you know, you just listen to highlights and then people just drop off or whatever. But, you know, the, the rest of the show is good, too. Right. But uh, it is. But let's give the people what they want. <laughs> all right. All right. OK, so I'm going to go first. My highlight, man, something so near and dear to my heart. Even the whole point we do this show for. I'm just going to call this steak lesson not like a, a, a steak in the ground but i'm talking about a steak that you eat <laughs> <laughs> so i have a weber kettle and uh this is in my my michigan house and i offered somebody just an introductory level like let me show you how to cook steaks on this because that would be an introduction into using the kettle some of the fire management practices things that we use some of those really intimidating things, I feel like with the Weber kettle, we can just make that easy, make that simple, and just give somebody the tools of dry brining, reverse sear, indirect cooking, starting a fire with charcoal, and um, using the thermometer. I feel like steak cooking hits sort of all of those basics that you can then use to cooking any other protein. Would you agree? I would definitely agree. I think the steak is an excellent, uh, excellent lesson to touch on a bunch of different things. Especially when you feel like you can get some good Costco quality steaks that was, you know, pretty reasonably priced, but you know, it could add some sticker shock, especially to the first time cook. But I really wanted to show you could have that really restaurant quality steak in a very easy manner cooking on, on the Weber kettle. I used lump charcoal. I used your favorite method, the charcoal basket to start the fire. Uh, put the fire on there. I think I had some cherry wood chips or maybe apple. Did it matter? Nah, really. <laughs> They're smoked chips. They were still good. Um, but then even showed like once you put those on, and you have everything set up indirectly, this is the same method if you wanted to smoke something for a long time. So it's like, you know, if you, this is where it's like, if I teach you the basics, then you can see and maybe go and play around from there. So if you just want to just smoke something for a long time, like a pork shoulder, 
This is how you would do it. And this is the Weber Performer. So it's the one has the grates that flip up so you can just easily add some charcoal back in there or put your wood chips. Um, at the same time, it was, you know, explaining the concept of dry brining and reverse sear and also being able to show like hands on. This is the differences that it looks like when you dry brine something and after that salt dissolves and it changes the color of the protein. Uh, the same thing is when you have an indirect and you're putting some smoke and you're getting things up to temperature where you see the fat that starts to render while it's on the reverse side before you sear it off. And it's really good to just sit there and just kind of work through the whole process. I mean, and from, probably from beginning to end, it was 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes. It, you know, it doesn't take very long, but man, real passionate of mine, being able to teach somebody and show them and really unveil the all the scary parts of what it might be to cooking with charcoal or cooking a, a fancy steak or something of that nature. And uh, even at the end of it, he was really grateful that we got to go through this. And I said, well, if you're really that grateful, then you need to do it on your own. And that's, that's, that's my, that'll be my payback. <laughs> it's like, once you do it on your own and you, and you have that courage, I would say, to give that a try and just repeat those steps. That's where it really is because ultimately that's the life skill that you'll keep with you forever. And we already know we're listening to this show, grilling and barbecue, man, really helps impact lives in a good way. And uh, just really means a lot, especially when you can produce that for your family and loved ones. And then I had the, the blessing or the honor to be able to, teach somebody with that. So, I mean, man, it was really cool. I wouldn't say it was a master class because I'm not a master at anything. So it was like <laughs> a, a junior class in steak cooking. And uh, man, it was so much fun. It was great to do. Nice. That's awesome. I would love that. I, 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 I would still learn something from a steak class that you were teaching. So I'm sure it was a win. <laughs> uh, like, like the one time when I was uh, helping my buddy, he was cooking something on a pellet cooker. He got to ask me about the temperatures and then he's like, what's going on with this temperature? It's not moving in hours. I was like, oh yeah, that's the stall. He's like, oh yeah, you didn't tell me about the stall. <laughs> and, and that's just what it is. So many times you might be going through things and you forget some of the easy parts or some of the simple parts. And when you're watching somebody or working through a cook like that, somebody might notice that and say, hey, what's, what's going on there? Or what is that about? And so, yeah, that's a good learning. I mean, it's it's a great thing, man. Apprenticeship just in general, trying to pass on your skills and stuff like that. Um, it's really a passion of mine in, in my profession and in my hobby. I, I love to share. So my, my highlight was so much more meaningful than what anything you can put out there, Frankie. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's not a competition, though. It's not. No, <laughs> you got me last time. So this time I'll try to get you. See, there you go. Right. I, I did not have a heartfelt moment of <laughs> barbecuing this week, although it was a glorious meal. Glorious meal. Oh, I love that term. Yeah. What'd you have? Uh, so let's see. We were painting, uh, helping a friend's house, uh, a friend paint their living room. And so we were wanting to, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to do like a little bit of a longer cook. Oh, excellent. Um, yeah. So I thought uh, I wanted to do a chuck roast. Uh, so I was looking up some recipes and I had saved my list and I still have never made this until this weekend was a Mississippi pot roast. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was, um, I don't know. I've been wanting to do it. I love pepperoncinis. Uh, so I thought, you know, it'd be really like acidic. 
it'd be a fun way to cook something a little bit longer. I can finish inside or finish however I want, not be so worried about it. So, uh, I got like a two and a half pound chuck roast. It was kind of find hard to find one actually. Like I went just to my really? regular grocery store. Yeah. I was really surprised. I was like, Safeway will definitely have it there. Um, but they only had one and it was like buried in with the tri-tips. Uh, wait, you have tri-tips in Oregon. There were some tri-tips. Yeah. Oh my West coast, gosh. Best coast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I took the only one they had and it was, uh, definitely not like shaped like I am used to, like it was not, you know, nice and round. It was like, definitely looked like they maybe even cut it the wrong way, but either way, did a lot of trimming, <laughs> got it, got it down. Um, it, it, it did end up breaking apart into like, uh, three different pieces. Okay. Yeah. I think that happens. Yeah. Something more like that. Yeah. Did a little quick dry brine on it. Cause we just picked it up that morning. So it only got about like an hour of, of that on it, but couldn't hurt. But I also was really intentional about doing a really light brine anyway, because uh, I don't know if you know the rest, the rest of the ingredients to a pot roast. It's pretty simple. It's like a packet of ranch seasoning, a packet of like au jus seasoning and mm. uh, a 16 ounce jar of the pepperoncinis. So already a lot of salt. I thought that was going to be <laughs> You're good. already thinking all the briny stuff. huh? Yeah. yeah. See, see, now my, my fiance, Amy, she loves to make the Mississippi pot roast and she's been telling me about trying to make that for a while. And I think she uses the pepperoncinis and then the Lipton onion soup. And so I'm guessing it's just uh, the only thing is the same here is the pepperoncinis. And even when I did make it, I bought the sliced pepperoncinis. And, and she was like, what is that stuff in your pot? <laughs> and she was like, oh, yeah, I used to buy the whole pepperoncinis. I was like, ah, now you tell me. Now you tell me, yeah. Well, I guess, okay, more than one way to to approach this. Um, Mississippi's a big state. <laughs> there we go, right? <laughs> Different dialects. Yeah, it's, it's how we make it on this side of the Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so you dial down the salt, the dry brine. I wonder what effect the dry brine has, especially when you're going to cook it in liquid. That was my other thought, too. So I did like didn't was not like super stressed about uh, about that. Um so I did cook it on the Traeger. I just put pepper on it after it dry brined a little bit. Really just wanted to keep it simple. Okay. Uh, and then let that smoke for like two and a half hours or so. So you smoked it in the liquid? No. So first I just smoked it on the Traeger, just the Chuck Rose by itself to try to get some smoke on it. Oh, I love this plan. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, after that, put it, I could have like wrapped it and put it in a, like a foil pan, I guess, but, and like put it back on the trigger. Uh -huh. uh, but we just finished it inside because it already got all the smoke it was going to get anyway. Yeah. True, so I true. thought like, why not uh, save, save some time. So I put it in the oven uh, for the rest of the time. Oh, so after the trigger, then I added all the ingredients. I put a, a whole white onion uh, and then the packets of au jus, the ranch and the pepperoncinis. I also only used half of the, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. You you noticeably got a lot less excited when you had to add these <laughs> processed seasonings. <laughs> I did. I was like, what am I doing? Like, okay, but hey, got to trust the process, I guess. Okay. All right. See what it is. And then you can, you know, after this, the next cook, you can ad lib from there. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. Definitely would do it again. But, uh, try to approach it a little bit differently. But um, so also through like in the last... and. The last like hour, hour and a half that was cooking in the oven through some uh, like uh, fingerling potatoes. 
okay in there as well nice and then uh uh came out and shredded it and we were gonna eat that and then i got like a little salad and then you know we were eating and it was all delicious but like okay it was not a meal <laughs> i think like <laughs> <laughs> like it was just like a the, the pot roast and i was like this definitely needed another element like i should have put it over like rice or mashed the potatoes or baked the potatoes separately uh -huh. and then served it over it and then uh, I think to to kind of round it all out, or a sandwich, I think would be mm. the better approach. How about heat up some tortilla shells, dude, and put it in a taco? We just did a taco episode. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. Of course, we, there, I'm sure there was some tortillas around laying around somewhere. <laughs> Mississippi pot roast tacos. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that. really good. It was a really flavorful um, dish. Uh, the pep like the pepperoncini flavor, like really came through really heavy. Um, I think next time I would. Probably skip the like au jus seasoning and like put my own beef stock in there. Mm -hmm. And then I got to find some something like probably figure out how to make my own ranch approach. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did the smoke flavor come through with your sauce and all that? It was definitely present. It was definitely a little mellow, I think, a because of um, well, I think just because the, the pepperoncinis like really took over. Mm. It was like really kind of like acidically forward okay so the smoke was definitely there i think definitely added a benefit uh so would next time oh, i would also probably want to smoke this on the drum instead mm. of the trigger i just thought we were we were talking about pallet, pallet cookers today so might as well you tried to on mix the it cooker. in all yeah. right all right <laughs> our marketing department would like that boom <laughs> <laughs> all right well good 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 um i really like this and i like messing around with the chuck roast because it's so cheap compared to most beef. Not here. Okay. That was the thing that also threw me off. Like oh. this thing was like 30 bucks, which I was not like expecting oh. for, for that size of a chuck roast. Dang. I don't know. Maybe okay. is that just me? I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But not sure. It not, I was expecting it to be a little cheaper, but Hey, Daniel was paying today. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Let's get into listener question segment. What do we got today? All right. See, question today is what are the what are the two best accessories for a kettle? I thought it's a polar, polarizing question. Two, only two, only two. Oh my goodness! Um, you give one first. What uh, do you think? Let's see. I know this kind of kind of sound a little weird, but I love my little uh, basket charcoal baskets. So okay. I don't have like a like I've seen one you have where it's just one like round basket. Uh -huh. These are like two metal or stainless, I don't know, some metal-ish. Um, like the half Like half shapes? circles. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I love those because they're so versatile. Like you can uh, like stack them on, like they fit kind of fit into each other. So if you're not using, wanting to use both, it can like be perfect just to hold like one thing little full. You can use it to like bank your coals okay. on either side of your grill. Um, so I think it's just a multitude of uses. And I do a lot of like, choose on cooking. So it really makes that easy. Um, mm. it's great if you're using like, um, like lump, you can like angle them. So they're off the bottom grate. So you're not like sm so many small pebbles aren't like falling through. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that's, would be my, that'd be my recommendation. Awesome. Awesome. Um, mine is also have to do with charcoal and maybe it's just my recent experience. I love the charcoal scraper. I feel like about a year ago on this show, we talk about the charcoal scraper and I discovered that it was in our email and I think I ordered it from my email. <laughs> and uh, 
It's essentially a metal scraper that's really robust. Um, so I can move around hot charcoals. And just like you're saying, it's important sometimes to be able to put that charcoal in one side. So I don't, I don't have my basket. It didn't make it out here from California. So Dang. I didn't buy another one. But I do use that, that charcoal scraper to nicely pile up my charcoal when I'm, whenever I'm using it. And uh, if you ever listen to this show at any length of time, you know that Jay hates a one-use tool. Yeah. And so uh, the other use I have for this tool is lifting the hot charcoal grate. So if you essentially take that charcoal scraper, insert it from the top sort of upside down, it is so robust enough that you can easily pick up the grate and sort of move things around and maneuver it. I love that feature about that thing. And so um, that is a, yeah, one of, it's, it's got multi-use, mess around with charcoal, and you need something to manipulate charcoal. Back in the days, I used to use charcoal tongs, and I would have all these tongs and whatnot. I don't need the charcoal tongs anymore because I got the scraper. And so I, I go with the scraper. I actually rarely use it to scrape anything, though. <laughs> <laughs> the multitude of uses. <laughs> well, you know what? That sounds good for me, man. That is two of the best accessories. That's my favorite and your favorite. But, uh, man, I love this kettle, and there's so many options, and we could probably talk all day about accessories for the kettle. But yep. send in your <laughs> questions to the Grill Coach, and uh, we can get you next time. Right now, we need to discuss our Grill Coach recommendations. So it's going to be about a pellet cooker, right? Because we're just pellet cooker, cooker episode. Ooh, no. It is not. <laughs> oh, marketing department don't like you no more. Okay, what cool. do you got? Uh, let's see. Today we are going to recommend. Well, before I say that, I want to encourage everyone. Or I want to remind everyone where you can find us. You can go to thegrillcoach.com, sign up for a newsletter, and we will send you this recommendation along with show notes, show updates, blog updates, uh, and other helpful information. Uh, speaking of the website, big shout out to all of our patrons. Your support goes to website hosting, podcast hosting, and allows us to keep putting on this show. So again, everyone check out thegrillcoach.com where you can find these recommendations. Uh, and today I'm going to recommend my favorite kettle accessory. I think it was a naturally organic recommendation. We're going to do the Weber Char Basket Charcoal Holders. Okay. And this has come in a set of two. Uh, and like I said, multitude of uses. Um, perfect for any kettle that you have. Um, probably could be manipulated to work in kind of any cooker. I'm sure in some way. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, check it out. I love it. Yep. Good idea. Good thinking. And I might just get one since I don't have one. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about picking a pellet cooker. This episode and the topic came out of an actual conversation that I was having with a friend of mine that I don't think he made the purchase yet. Maybe this might help him out. We'll find out, but we'll talk more about it after the break. So today we're talking about picking a pellet cooker. Just so uh, some history behind this for the grill coach we put out. We actually did a podcast on this uh, episode 18. It goes way back. We are episode 130 now. Congrats to us. We're still in the game. And we also wrote a blog post about it. And that was five reasons to buy a pellet cooker. And just real quick, I'll go through the five reasons. Too long, don't read. Just get you to the bottom. The first reason 
is it's a cheat code for smoking. The smoke of the grilling of smoking, sorry, the smoking part of any barbecue is probably one of the hardest things to maintain and manage throughout the cook. But a pellet cooker does it for you and it really makes that easy. Number two would be the consistency. Once you dial in your number, you know what to expect every time. Unlike sometimes when I'm unloading a bag of charcoal, part of it might be rocks and a bunch of small stuff. And so I'm always constantly adjusting and paying attention. The pellet cooker gives you consistency that you might need. Uh, maintenance, this is a fairly easy to maintain. I, I would say it's a lot more easy to maintain than a charcoal cooker. For me, it's almost so easy to maintain that I don't even do maintenance on mine <laughs> <laughs> until I really need it. I know we talked about that on one episode. Uh, the next one, man, it's sleep. When you're doing a long cook and you want something ready, I spent the nights where I was checking things every 15, 30 minutes. But with the pellet cooker, you really can sleep and not worry about the fire. And uh, that's a huge benefit, especially when you start to get up there in age like myself. And the last one was it's trending. I wrote this article a few years back and more and more and more. There are pellet cookers on the market, more diversity. Things are getting cheaper. And it's just it's such an easy way to go. Anybody can smoke meats on this and make fantastic things. This is why they're just coming out more. I still think they're going to take over gas grills someday where gas grills are right now still the easiest and most things to maintain. And they kind of come with every house or every time you go to a resort, they have a gas grill you can use. I feel like one day it'll be pellet grills. That would be a dream. <laughs> All right. So why are we talking about pellet cookers in the first place? Like, isn't all, are all pellet cookers created equal? Man, oh man, that's what, this is where we get uh, some trouble into because especially there was one pellet cooker that hit the market that is extremely cheap compared to some other ones. Uh, I've seen this pellet cooker at grocery stores selling them. And again, extremely cheap. You might have been through the Costco's or the Sam's Club, and sometimes they'll do the Traeger and the road shows. And the Traeger is a fantastic cooker, but it is kind of pricey. And so when you're looking at those things, it's hard to determine which is which. And that's why I got hit up by a buddy of mine. This guy even had a hookup where he can get a good discount on the Traeger. But then he mentioned that the, the vendors are even telling him, consider this other one because it's cheaper. It's better value. It's not as expensive. And so that got me to thinking about so many of these things about what are we looking for in a pellet cooker? All right. So uh, I love that because I think whenever I go to make a new purchase, particularly when it comes to barbecues of any kind, I'm, I'm definitely like a little overwhelmed with all the information, like what is important, what is not. So I'm glad we're doing a quick little rundown of these things. So uh, let's dive right into it. I think for me, obviously, if you listen to the show, <laughs> price is a big uh, influencer when it comes to, to to picking a pellet cooker or any cooker in general, um, because they can range, just like you said, so wildly from like a couple hundred bucks to a couple thousands, many thousands of dollars. So I like to pick when I'm going to, to go thinking about purchasing something, uh, I like to give myself a price range so that okay. I like limit myself 
uh, from all these like extras that I may not need, although definitely want. <laughs> gotcha. What about you? You know what? I, I'm so spoiled, man. I'm so snobbish too that I usually just, I, I usually try to go for the biggest and the best, but I've been learning now to like search more for value. And I think really on this is about what type of cooker are you? So let's just do some math real quick. Cause I am an engineer so we can kind of put this together. I'm going to ask you this Frankie random, random question. What would you say is your average cost of a barbecue meal? Of a barbecue meal, like yeah. per person or like for four people. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. all right. Maybe like 60 bucks, 60 bucks. All right. Yeah. $15 a head. Sounds great. Right. Uh, brisket sandwich for everybody. Okay. Now let's say you're the type of cooker or you're the type of person that wants barbecue half the year. That's 26 weekends of the year. This is if you don't do any cooking. So I'm thinking if you cook 26 times in a year, that's, that's probably low for me because I'll cook almost outside every day. <laughs> but again, we're just going to use that number. So if we take 26 times 60, that's $1,500, $1,560 to be exact. Is that a good spot to put your budget for a cooker? Ooh, I kind of like that perspective or that thought. This is a lot my easier point. to justify that. Yeah. Yeah. Because see, what happens is Costco and not Costco, Home Depot and Lowe's, they got all those cheap cookers out front for $120 or $150 or whatever. And then that puts that, that price in your head that that's what I should get or that's what I should be looking for. But I think it's about how you will use it. And so if we just go in reverse and that $1,500 cooker, and if I cook every weekend of the year, all right, let's say 40, 40 times a year, that's three months I'm not cooking. That's $37 every time I cook. That's still pretty reasonable because what I'm cooking on that grill, whether it be pork shoulder, pork belly, briskets, pot roast, all of these things, I'm going to make amazing things with this and feed my family with it. So, I mean, I feel like that's a pretty good range. So I think it's all about how many times are you going to cook? If you're going to cook once or twice a year, get the cheapest thing out there. (laughs) (laughs) Fair, fair. Yeah. I mean, you know, but if you're going to really start cooking and especially what we've learned in, in this show, once you start getting into this world of grilling and barbecue, the thing you want to do immediately is share it. And then your family and your friends get to know you as the barbecue person in their group. So then they want to like, well, let's watch the game at your house. Let's, you know, since you're painting, let's, let's have you cook. And then, so you always end up cooking more and using this thing more. So I think you got to anticipate that too, that you will be cooking more because you'll be putting out better food. You know, maybe people around you be like, Hey, when are you going to make some of that more chicken or some of the more pork? So this is something to consider with the, with the, with the grill. So think about how many times you're going to cook and put a budget to the meal. And maybe that's your, maybe that's your price. Boom. I like that guidelines. All right. So I think the other thing is right. leads right into what you got to think about is the size of the, of the cooker. So when we talk about size of the cooker, really, we only care about how much can I cook on it? When I was looking, they would talk about, Oh, you can cook four pork butts on this six pork butts on this. That was so much better than this is 180 square inches. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> the 180 square inches, yeah, that's a distinct number. And maybe you can compare cooker to cooker. But, yeah, I want to know how many racks of ribs can I put on this? I, I was talking to a friend of mine who has a Kamado-style grill. And his biggest problem is that he can't cook ribs on there because he always has to cut the racks in half. Mm. And this is another misconception that when they tell you it is 180 square inches of cooking area, but if you don't have a deflector underneath that whole thing, so on my Traeger, about two inches from every side on the edge, whatever meat you have will scorch. And so now I got to take off that distance to that whole area. So even though they say 180, I got maybe 150 inches of actual area. I'm talking about cooking area. Yeah, that's a that's a good point too. I would kind of also say from someone who's coming from like a who has always had like a small space, I think the size of the that the cooker is actually going to be taking up is a big consideration for me as well. Um and then like compounding that with okay, well It'll take up this much space, but am I able is, you know, are there more racks inside of the grill so I can like, mm. you know, do a little more vertical, you know, cook up rather than cooking out. Gotcha. <laughs> if gotcha. You will. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And, and, and that goes right alongside with what about storage of the grill and the accessories? Where will mm. you put these things? I think, yeah, those are things you need to plan for when you're looking for this. Good point. I like that storage and then accessories where you're going to put everything. Definitely a consideration. Um, okay, let's see. Another thing that I would consider is, I guess, the temperature range. And I think this kind of plays into what you were talking about earlier. Like, how are you going to use the cooker? Uh, and like, if you want the ability to, you know, I'm going to air quote this, sear something on mm -hmm. the on the pallet cooker, or um, are you just going to be, you know, using it for low and slow cooking? Right. That right. can like factor into your decision as well. Yeah, very true. Uh, and so many of these marketing things will tell you. And I think even the Traeger, by the way, Traeger is my favorite pellet cooker, if it's not known already. <laughs> but Traeger will tell you, you can grill, bake, smoke, uh, roast, roast, broil. I, I don't know, all these stupid things or whatever. But to me, it's like I use that for smoking meats. That's it. I feel like it's not going to be something to sear with. If I'm going to sear, I'll use charcoal or a cast iron pan on top of the stove. Because once I get smoke on things, then I I got what I want out of it. And so uh, that is a very good consideration because also maybe you can only have one cooker. And I'm, I know that some of them out there will do some searing. And you might consider, like, how does that work into how you want to cook it? So good point. Yeah. And then kind of tied into temperature range, eh, kind of, but not, I guess hopper capacity is something that I had not considered, uh, before, you know, having the, the, I have the little trigger ranger. So it's the portable one, obviously like a much smaller mm. hopper. Mm -hmm. Um, so like it definitely is like needing to get out there and like check on it and feed it a little more often than I imagine you would. <laughs> um, Good point. Yeah. Sure. So that will mess up that sleep cycle. The one I said, that's the one of the advantages is you get to sleep through stuff. Yeah. And then kind of related to the hopper. I don't know if this would like fit anywhere else, but I'm gonna go on my little rant. The, <laughs> the hopper on the 
the the trigger ranger for for me and maybe it's just mine or i've kind of seen this mentioned in other reviews too is like the pellets don't like fall down the like shoot necessarily all the time so like you get uh, this get like stuck. little yeah this like um i don't know so like an empty spot right there so i am always very conscious of that so i wish and that's why i'm like very hesitant to use this like um overnight or something because i okay. like who knows how long that's going to take until you know that void happens and then and then who knows what's going to go on so yeah look at the hopper design when you're looking through pellet cookers about what you want Boom, there you go. Hopper design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. The other thing I think you really need to look for is the build quality. Um, the metals that these things are built with, they mean everything. That's going to be how well they stand up to heat and weather. Most of the time our grills, the temperatures swings are a lot for them. And depending on especially where you're at, it might get really cold and then you're going to get hot again. And then these things are going to get grease and then you might have a little fire on some spots, but it's going to go through a lot. The main thing also that I'm looking for is how well is it going to retain heat? I'm buying pellets. I'm smoking those pellets or heating those pellets for my food. I don't want that heat and that smoke to be escaping throughout the sides or easily just um, leaving the chamber. So I really want something that's well insulated. You definitely got to stay within your budget. But again, look at getting the best build material that you can. Um, and I think it's important that you look at multiple ones. The really thin metals, not saying they're not, they're not going to work. But again, they're probably not going to last. And you might be burning through more pellets than if you would something that was better insulated. Mm, that's a good point. The The... Heat retention is something that's that's really important that I, I think is a good point that you brought up. Uh, what about like, um, so that's like what it's made of. Like, is there any considerations for like what, I guess, like the external, what like what it looks like in terms of materials or considerations there? Well, I think depending on your your backyard setup, front yard setup for that matter, your outdoor kitchen setup. Yeah, you might be concerned about what it looks like overall. And I don't know if you're talking about the aesthetics of it. <laughs> you want something that matches the rest of the counter or matches the refrigerator. I, I saw a great outdoor kitchen build set up and it was a nice refrigerator, stainless steel. And then right next to it was like a gas grill. And then it was a, a pellet cooker that was all black. And it, it just looked weird, you know, because you got now different color appliances. But uh, neither here nor there. But really, I think what it is, you're, you want to look for weight. You want meaty material. You want something that's insulated, possibly. The uh, Something like that, that's going to retain heat. What about like rust resistance and like weather resistance? Are just like all grills like assumed to have that already or not a factor? It may be a factor. I don't know how much of a factor. That's a good point. That's a good question. Um, especially depending on where you live in the country. Uh, and also, how do you take care of the grills? Are you going to keep them covered? Because uh, when I was in California, I was a guy that never covered not one grill. Now I'm in the southeast in Georgia. <laughs> I cover my grills all the time. <laughs> Everything's covered. <laughs> because it rains so often and this and that. And I just want to keep all that stuff away. So, um, but so 
with that being said, things still handle, they still stay in pretty good shape. So I haven't really had a problem with rust or anything like that, but not to say that it wouldn't happen because I do have my little charcoal starter that's right next to it. And yeah, that thing is all rusted out bad as can be, but, um, you know, still again, something to look at. Okay. All right. Let's see. Then the next thing I would say, uh, is to consider, I guess, is like the ease of use. Although I feel like all pellet cookers are relatively easy to use. Is there something I'm missing there? Yeah. Hold up there, buddy. <laughs> hold up. Hold up. So in general, pellet cookers are generally, you pull out the cooking grate, you pull out the deflector plan or deflector plate, and then you would vacuum out all the ash that's from there. But I have experience with one of these grates. The grate was the whole width of the cooker. It was always hard to kind of turn an angle and pull out at the right angle. And mind you, this thing is greasy. So it's that was hard to deal with. Whereas the next cooker that I got, it had two separate grates across that length because now it was two smaller grates. It was so much easier to pull out and put back in. And so I think just when you look at breaking this thing down and how, how would I clean this? I think it's probably the best thing is to really see like what, 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 what does it take? And when you're in the store and all the grates and everything like that is all clean, mind you, this stuff is going to be nasty. It's going to be covered with grease. You can't touch it with your bare hands unless you're going to use that, you know, greasy oil stuff. I use always use gloves or paper towels because even when you pull this grate off, it's like, where do you put this big, long, greasy grate? Because if you lay it up against a wall right next to you, then it's all going to get greased. So it, it could be problematic. So think about that, the dirtiest of conditions when you're when you're looking at that. But I, I think the I don't know if you were talking about maintenance when you said ease of use, but maybe that just struck a nerve. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a good point, though, because I was not I was talking about like in its operation. But I think remembering that, yeah, we need to clean and maintain these things uh, and how easy that is to do. All right. So. So cool. the operations part, that's the main reason why a lot of traditional barbecue people will talk about you because they'll be like, <laughs> that's not a challenge. All you do is dial to the temperature you want. It's like an outdoor oven. That's what they're going to call it. That's what they're going to say. But, um, hey, if, as long as you make fantastic food, who cares how easy it took you to get there? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So we got it. We got it clean. We talked about easy use. Uh, now, I guess, what about like brand reputation? Like, I think for, I don't know, I, I won't, I won't lie and say that I tend to like be a little brand stand. <laughs> <laughs> you should be. Show. What kind of shoes yeah, you got on, clothes and car. Yeah, well, I'm not really only when it comes to like, tools I'm cooking with. I wear the same shirt, same type <laughs> of shirt every day. I won't lie. <laughs> um, but yeah, how, how do you think that plays into, to play, plays into this? I think it definitely plays a big role. Um, the one thing to be cognizant of, though, is there's a lot more brands that have entered this market. And I feel like a lot of good quality brands. I was real leery, like, say, of Pit Boss at one time when they came in because of the prices were so much cheaper. But after seeing some in use, touching them and moving things around in the store, I feel like, yeah, I could probably work with the Pit Boss. Um, you know, a Louisiana grill, a Green Mountain grill. There's so many different grills coming out there. And so, but I really, I really got to put my hands on them uh, and, and really see them. And I haven't 
shopped around and I, obviously I don't sell these grills, so I can't say, but when it comes to, you know, getting the name brand or something ready to get, I, I'm always saying go Traeger. Traeger has been in it, you know, probably one of the longest. They, they got some of the best marketing out there. They got some of the best, you know, most common materials. And I, I feel like a good reputation, but by far they are not like the only one. Uh, I think again, there's so many other ones out there and I feel like they're more coming all the time. And uh, I'm just not abreast to know like every brand. I don't grade them or something like that. Uh, it'd be kind of interesting to, to do that and grade because even we, we just learned of, well, not learned. We revisited the fast Eddie cooker, which was one of the early pellet cookers, but it's extremely expensive. Like that is like a $6,000 pellet grill. It's like not even in the, in the runnings to get something like that. That's a whole yeah. different kind of, it's a commercial style cooker. It's not something for your backyard, but uh, I think you definitely look at the brand, see what you're at and compare. But, it, but I think, all these other things we talked about before this is more important than the brand itself. That's true, right? Because then you are, you know, then you're not just shopping for a brand name. You are shopping for like a pallet cooker, right? And now you know what considerations to take into. If you are like, um, like a ratings and review, uh, nerd, I'll say it. <laughs> you can check out. Uh, I think like amazingribs.com, like Meathead. He they do like a lot of extensive like product reviews and and things too. So always a good source to check out there as well. That's a very good source. And those guys, I know they don't take any money from any manufacturer. They will put out exactly what they see. They cook on it different ways. They kind of have a good standard of rating different pieces. I, I would definitely trust that site, amazingrib.com. So for sure. I would, I would be leery of looking at some of the other additional features in cookers. Some of them where, uh, the Wi-Fi connectivity, some of the operations of, you know, just how these things go. Like you can just set your phone up to cook pork shoulder. I would be leery of some of those things, but they definitely can add some value. Uh, I do like the fact that I can see what's going on in my cooker and necessarily don't have to be in front of it. But part of cooking outside is being outside. Part of cooking with all your senses is being next to the cooker. You got to learn the cooker and see where you're at. So it's not a bad thing to have these as help, like to aid you, but don't expect that to do it for you. So I would just be leery of some of those. Uh, also, sometimes, you know, are these things calibrated well? How do they hold up when things get used a lot? Because even on my Traeger, I do have a thermometer where I can plug into the meat the whole time and see where the temperature is at. But I've learned that, like, I only really care where the temperature is when I'm done. I don't care the six, seven, eight hours while it's cooking. I don't really care where the temperature is from there. And even if I did do that, I probably would want something like you have, Frankie, like the fireboard and not just using the one from the cooker. But I think it's a matter of these manufacturers are trying to add things to differentiate themselves, you know, set themselves apart from the rest of the market. And uh, I would just say, you know, consider it, but just don't make that part of your, you know, your main decisions. Yeah. I think though, like if, um, yeah, like, like you said, I think what, if you're looking at these additional features, like see what kind of sounds interesting to you. Like, I think, yeah, like the thermometer situation and being able to monitor that remotely. Like I think, yeah, maybe just buying something like fireboard 
would be cheaper than buying an upgraded model for this. But I got to say one thing that sounds really appealing about the, what does the Traeger call it? Wi-Fi or connection or yeah, whatever Wi-Fi. it's called. Yep. Yep. Is the, uh, is the ability to, I guess, like see what is happening in terms of like your palette level and like being able to adjust it from there. If I'm understanding that correctly, I hate it. Really? <laughs> so I do have that and I hate it because I feel like it's wildly inaccurate. Oh, plot twist. Yeah. It's just, you know, it'll be like, oh, it's only 20% pellets left. But you're like, there's a whole bunch in there. And just like we talked about, sometimes it'll pile up on one side. It's like, oh, it just needs to move over or something like that. I, I, I'm not a fan of it. Dang. Have I you did. calibrated it yet? Ooh, that hurt, Frankie. <laughs> wow. All right. For new listeners, just have to tell you the quick story. I bought the big new fancy Traeger. It has this feature to tell you where your pellet level is. And I want to say I probably had it for a year and I never once went through calibrating this sensor. And uh, I did finally calibrate it, though. So, okay, yeah, still don't like it. The problem with calibrating this was I always got pellets in the hopper and I'm ready to cook this. The the menu board will say, do you want to calibrate? Yeah, sure. Calibrate. Then the first thing it says is empty the hopper. And taking all the pellets out of the hopper is a pain in the butt. It's a nice little trap door on the back, and you can get them out, this or that. But, man, it's just a whole lot more than I ever really wanted to deal with. That's why I went like a year when I didn't actually calibrate this thing. But one day, I did. I calibrated it. And ever since then, now I feel like I get nuisance alarms all the time that, oh, your pellets are low, your pellets are low. And it's like, they're not low. Come on, man. Give me a break. And so, uh, yeah, it's not one of my favorite features. Dang. Uh, one feature I do like on that thing. All right. Well, now we know. Yeah. Is that when you do start it up, it'll say, hey, those fire pots don't clean itself. And it'll tell you that. So it's a little reminder, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey, Jay, you need to clean this grill. Uh, so that's pretty good because, uh, yeah, you do. So I think the last time it told me, I was like, man, I just cleaned you. I answered him back. But that was pretty cool. Nice. All right. Well, you know, I hope that what we gave you today gives you some firepower, some ammo to go out there and navigate this world of picking a pellet cooker. Because, man, it is a lot of information out there. There's a lot of cookers out there. And there is a lot to consider. And I can see that it's overwhelming, especially if it's your first purchase of a pellet cooker. But um, that's why we wanted to put this together. We wanted to help you in this battle. Uh, let us know what you guys got. Uh, we re- definitely appreciate hearing from you guys. And uh, speaking of hearing from someone, can I shout out just one of our regular listeners? A guy's been listening for a long time. Please do. So it's uh, Nathan Twist. And uh, he, he sent us a message on Instagram, which uh, I don't really check that much. Frank, I don't know if you do that either, but uh, he sent a great picture. Chicken thighs. Oh, we could be doing better. Yes, yes. <laughs> marketing department (laughs) he sent a great picture there was chicken thighs (laughs) covered with yogurt that he marinated and then he sent the next picture where the yogurt gone and said where did the yogurt go and uh yeah i'm with you there so (laughs) great picture great thinking if if you don't know that reference we i talked about tandoori chicken i believe it was in last week's episode or week before and that's when you last week's episode yeah Anyway, hey, I appreciate you sending some stuff out. Sometimes we don't get to you right away, but, uh, you know, forgive us. We definitely are paying attention. 
So what I'm asking for now is tell us about your purchasing experience for pellet cooker. What are you buying? What did you like about it? What is new out there? Because I'm really not looking at new pellet cookers because I might end up coming home with one because I'm addicted to barbecue and cooking. <laughs> and, and I already have two pellet grills in the yard. I don't need another one. I want one, though. I'm sure I do. <laughs> Wait, what's the second one? I have a I have an old Traeger. So I have a new Traeger oh, okay. and an old Traeger. Yeah. So much fun. Old Traeger, hey. Well, still cooking. Guess what? The old Traeger never gets used. It's always the new one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, soon I'll have another Traeger for sale so I can buy a new grill. Yeah. I like oh. that. All right. Well, anyways, let me get, let me get, stop getting carried away. You know, thank you for listening guys. And definitely want you to go out there and not be afraid to purchase a new grill. And then that way, when you purchase a new pellet cooker, you can. Get outside and with Frankie and Jay. Fire it up and barbecue the right way. Grill of the grill, so pepper and smoke. To put smiles on the ones you love the most. Get outside and chill and take your time. Reverse it, try drive run. You just got to, you just got to